Hi, Pastor John here. Well, it's a new year and we have all of the challenges of a new year ahead of us. And you know, with the major elections coming up and uh, all the current events, the question before the church is how will we respond to all this? How will we handle everything that's going on around us? Well, maybe we've got some answer from that in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. We're gonna be in verses eight through 21. Uh, with hope and praise. Let's join the service and see what that passage says. I've asked Kelly to join me up here uh, just to give you thanks uh, for the way this congregation has blessed us. The outpouring of prayer and support and uh, the abundance of the gifts we've received over Christmas has moved us deeply. And we just, uh, our thanks and our love go back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There downstairs is a table with some clothing on it. Um, Veritas had a clothing giveaway this morning. Uh, they have invited us to uh, pick and choose from whatever is left over. You're welcome to go down there and see what, if you know somebody that needs clothing, uh, if you need clothing, uh, feel free to take it. Uh, it's there for the picking. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be in verses 9 through 21. You know, I used to, when, when I would say that, I used to hear this rustling of pages. Now I hear swiping. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. They're all Bibles. Amen? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I had a flashback there. <laughs> Let me read this passage, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. When I was a kid... Not too long ago, my mom used to terrify me. When, when I would do something wrong, she would point her finger at me, and she'd you better hope and pray that I don't give you what you deserve. And I would go, yeah, how do I do that? Because I'm hoping you don't, and I think I'm praying. So, but but those, those words kind of resonated with me, hope and pray. What did it mean to hope and, and pray? And why, why is it necessary? Why is it better for me if I hope and pray? That's what I want you to hold on to while we're talking about this passage. You better hope and pray. 
So, I, and, and I got to tell you something. You know, this has been on my heart for a long time. I've talked about it to you frequently. Uh, in, in the area of hope, we live in a world that desperately needs hope. We, I, I mean, there is so much going on around us. Uh, the the culture is changing rapidly. Um, there are people that are encouraging us as a church that we need to change along with the culture, that we need to make these adjustments and the old-fashioned ways. And I, I mean, the things go on and on and on, and you can't really be thinking those things. They just don't work in this day and age. And so, you know, we're told our hope lies somewhere else uh, than in the, what's going on around us, is in Jesus Christ. But we're supposed to be we're supposed to be messengers of hope, aren't we? We're supposed to be light in the darkness. We're supposed to be uh, some, some explanation for what's going on in life. We're about to go into Ecclesiastes. And I'll tell you something, I could use some prayer. This is the toughest book I've ever looked at, okay? But trying to bring some sense and some application, not to just tell you what Ecclesiastes says, but to tell you what it should mean to us here in the 21st century. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. But it's a challenge. And Ecclesiastes is all about the futility of life. And, and really what it's about is the futility of life apart from God. And so we're supposed to be those messengers. And so when, when, when the church, the modern church, the, the church universal gets involved in everything going on around us, we cease to become messengers. We cease to become uh, that ray of hope that we're called to be. Yet, hope and pray are two of the tenets of our faith. And we find that here in Paul's passage in Romans. Now, Romans is Paul's theological masterpiece. It's an incredible doctrinal statement. And he lays out his case piece by piece. And it's thorough and it is detailed, and if you are willing to spend some time in, in Romans, I will tell you another thing, it's really challenging. Because you get, you get to the middle part of Romans, you got to go, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> and we got to decide whether or not we're going to read the Word of God for what it says, or what we hope it says. And Paul does a masterful job at this. It's challenging, but beginning in chapter 10, he begins to put feet to all this theology. Uh, you know, I've, again, I've told you before, theology is great, but unless it is applied theology, it doesn't really help us much. Unless we understand the character and nature of God, unless we're trying to draw closer and closer to him in some context of how we live our lives, it's just an academic exercise. So Paul does what he always does. He lays out his doctrine, he explains it all, and then he tells us what we should do with it. And we find out in chapter 10 that salvation is available to all people. Now, that was a challenge to some of the Jewish people. Because up until that particular point, they thought that in order to have a relationship with God, you had to become Jewish. So, salvation is available to all people. Chapter 10, chapter 11 ensures that the Jews who believe are saved as well. They're not cut out uh, because they had a, a partial belief of the gospel. And, and that all the Jews and the Gentiles, when they get together in their common belief, will comprise the church. If they know Christ as Savior, they become the church, the church that we know today. Then in chapter 12, Paul begins to describe that church. 
And at the first part of 12, he says it's made up of a whole lot of people. Every person has a gift. There are no pew sitters in, in God's church. Amen? Everybody brings something to the function of the body. We just watched part of it roll out this morning. And I, and I know some of you are sitting there. Some of you are listening and go, well, I don't have a gift. Okay, you do. You do. Your gift might be something that brings us all together. You might hop on a Vespa and go across country and allow us all to share in that experience, bringing to the surface the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Everybody has some gift. And, you know, I've said it before, some give. This is a giving congregation. We haven't done a sermon on giving in quite some time because you are givers. God bless you, okay? You might be a giver. You might be a prayer. You might be a servant. You might be a teacher. Uh, you might be somebody who just comes in and encourages people. But we all have a gift. That's what Paul lays out in the first part of chapter 12. So starting with our passage today, Paul begins to give us some guidelines. What do we do with all this stuff for how we who make up the church relate to each other and how we relate to those outside the church, in particular, those people that give us a hard time. So we, 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 we've got two ways, two, two guidelines for how we deal with our friends in verses 9 through 13, and how we deal with our foes in verses 14 through 21. Let's look at, take a look at how we deal with our friends, starting with verse 9. And he starts out with, let love be genuine. Now, we covered this a couple years ago, but it, it bears looking at again. Uh, genuine, what, what does it mean to let love be genuine? It means let love be unhypocritical. We don't just give passing uh, attention to the idea that we love. And with this, he begins a new covenant statement of ethics. What, what does it look like for the church to function as a church? It's how we are to act within the church. And the way we love is we love sincerely. Now, this is not to say that we conjure up warm fuzzies. That we're looking at you and go, oh, I love you so much. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. But we are to love each other the way God loves, consciously, deliberately, with purpose, withholding chastisement, refusing to condemn, making an effort to love instead of judge. Now, that's a challenge because we are in an environment that is constantly judging each other. Matter of fact, it's so constant and so prevalent that we begin to think it's right. It's not. So, and while we're practicing this genuine love, we are to abhor what is evil. Oh, I love this one. We hate evil. I do, don't you? This has to be taken in consideration of what Paul's just done, the directed to be sincere in our love for each other. So we hate evil in our love for each other. It's Paul telling us that our love for others is unconditional, or conditional? Is Paul trying to say, oh, you love them as long as they're good, but if they're bad, you don't love me. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. You know why? Because that's not how God loves us. God's love for us is not conditional on what kind of behavior we express today. 
You know, it is so easy to hate evil in other people, isn't it? Oh, it's just those people are evil. That music they're listening to is evil. That, that thing that they do is evil. That, that political party that they are involved in is evil. It's so easy to recognize evil in other people. But Paul's talking about how we love each other and how that is unconditional the same way God loves us. I think Paul's saying, abhor evil in yourself. It's easy to see evil in others. It's not so easy to see the evil in ourselves. But Scripture says that we are all, we've all fallen short of the mark. Can we, can we look at the evil in ourselves, identify it, and condemn that rather than condemning the evil in other people? See, that's where our disdain for evil has to start. I mean, it's okay to hate the evil in the world, but it's got to start with some self-examination, some self-evaluation. So while we are to withhold judgment of those people around us, we are to despise sin, particularly particularly the sin in us. And we can do this by holding fast to what is good is the next phrase. Now, the word here means to cleave to. And you know, I love this word uh, because it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And it means to hold on to desperately, to, to cling to without letting go, to cling to without letting go all that is good and true, all that is godly and holy. And when we do that, when we cling to all that is godly and holy, we can then, in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. We can love one another out of Philadelphios. We get, we get the name for Philadelphia from this type of affection. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Philadelphia, but it's all but that. Uh, that's, that's kind of God's irony. The, uh, this is a love that rises up out of a common purpose, out of a common bond that we have. Not because we have affinity with each other, but because we, we love each other solely because we share the gift of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And our Savior, and because of all that, we belong to his church. And our love for each other rises up out of that and naturally leads to doing, outdoing one another in showing honor. Now, what that means is that the word for to outdo is to be preeminent, to be a prime example of, and what he's talking about, mutual respect and love for each other. We're to show the world how to love. And we do that by loving each other. And the world will know we are Christians. How? By our love. You know where that comes from? That comes from John chapter 13, verse 35. Not the exact words. It, you know, it's an older praise and worship song. We'll know Christians, we're Christians by our love. But Jesus says in John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the evidence of God's presence among us. Now that, you see, that should excite us. That should get us kind of riled up. The fact that we are the representatives of the creator of the universe and that we have this opportunity to show the world what godly people look like. 
Paul cautions us in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. It means don't be reluctant, don't be slow to be demonstrative. About what? About Christ, about the church, about the gospel. We get excited about a lot of things. Anybody going to watch the Super Bowl? It's okay, you can put your hands up. <laughs> okay, nothing wrong with watching the Super Bowl. But I'll tell you something. I, I'm sitting in Chick-fil-A last week, and a friend of mine walked in. He had all the stuff on, Steelers. <laughs> okay, the hat, the shirt, the pants, the shoes said Steelers. And I said, so, do you have a favorite team? <laughs> Baby, we're going to the Super Bowl. I'm excited. Oh, great. So he and I are talking, and he said, so you're going to go to Pittsburgh? Yep, I got tickets doing all that. And I said, I said do you, have you ever thought about wearing a hat that has your church logo on it? What? <laughs> I, I mean, have you ever just thought about it? I, look, I'm no better than he is. I've got, I'm a fan of things. I get it. I understand. But we get excited about this stuff. And sometimes it's hard for us to get worked up about going to church. Oh, you got to get up early in the morning. We had almost some snow. <laughs> Maybe I'll just stay home. Can you imagine somebody saying that about their Super Bowl tickets? It's going to be cold out. It might snow. I might just stay home and watch it on TV. See, we're supposed to be zealous. Uh, now, I'm not asking you to work up some kind of false excitement. I'm just saying, let's look around you and see how all this works. How does it function in our lives? Don't be slothful in zeal. Get excited about a lot of things, but be really excited. Be fanatical about your church and about the community around your church and the opportunities we have to represent our church. He says, be fervent in spirit. And that's an encouragement to be on fire for the Lord. It's okay to be on fire for other things, but where are your passions? Where do they lie? Where do you put your resources? And if we do all that, it's going to result in a new way of living. We will, Paul says, serve the Lord. We will work for him. We will work for his church. We will work for his gospel. And Paul writes about this and how he served the Lord in a book of, well, actually Luke writes it, in the book of Acts, he says this in Acts 20, 19, serving the Lord, watch this, with all humility and with tears and with trials. Service isn't easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It is self-sacrificing. And the biggest thing about service we need to realize is it focuses on others rather than ourselves. And it requires time. It requires talent. It requires treasure. It means an investment in all those areas of our life, but we're called to serve as Christ served us. Again, we're the example. Now, Paul takes all of that teaching and brings it together with five simple guidelines that, that can help us be the church that we're called to be. And those start in verse 12. The first thing he says is rejoice in hope. We take joy. Uh, we, 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 we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we're happy about every situation we're in. We're not. Some of our situations are very difficult. But we have the hope in Jesus Christ, that, and this is a transcendent hope, 
brothers and sisters. This goes above and beyond anything we would experience and any situation we would be in. Our hope is that one day we will be with him, and on that day that we are called home, it will be the beginning of an eternal existence with him. And we will look back on whatever situation that we are enduring right now and go, that was so small compared to what I have now. I can't believe that bothered me. I am so grateful that God has rescued me from all the troubles and all the hardship in the world. And whatever I went through, Paul tells us this, we'll be able to say with him, whatever I went through, however hard it may be, however much grief I had and pain that I experienced and turmoil that I went through is worth what I have now. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Take a look at Revelations. And I mean, you want to understand the book of Revelations? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. I love the book. I'd spend months looking at it. But ultimately, what it says is, Genesis says, well, man fell. And, and Revelation says, and Jesus rescued him. The whole Bible right there. And that's the hope that we have. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Endure our hardships, knowing they're temporary, to- totally overshadowed by our hope. Our third guideline is be constant in prayer. And there it is, hope and pray. Uh, we'll look at corporate ways we can pray in just a little bit, uh, but be constant in prayer. That doesn't mean that we need to kneel beside our bed all day long praying, but that we're moving through our day in an attitude of prayer. We are moving through our day with the awareness of the truth of Scripture that God is omnipresent and that if we are saved, if we've confessed our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he is indwelling inside us. We don't have to go find him. We don't have to go looking for him. We don't have to have some kind of experience to conjure him up. The Holy Spirit, if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in inside you and all it means to be in constant prayer is to acknowledge that lord i know you're with me right now so i'm not going to get really upset over this person in front of me lord i know that you love me and i i I know that you shed your grace upon me help me to shed my grace on this cashier who can't make change Isn't it amazing the things that upset us? Help me, Lord. Help me express your love and your grace and your mercy to this person in the other political party. We don't like that. (laughs) Help me, Lord, love these immigrants. Oh. Help me, Lord, be a witness to those people that are oppressing other people over on the other side of the world. See, those are the tough things. But that's what we're called to do. We've got to work at it. And that requires constant prayer, constant awareness of the fact that God has promised you and me that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so there's no moment in which he's looking the other way. Amen? 
Fourth way, contribute to the needs of the saints. Um, again, you're a giving church. Um, I was talking to Levi about this this morning as we're going through the new members class. Uh, you know, we, we believe in giving here. Uh, we have guidelines. They're not mandates. Uh, Kelly and I, personally, on our giving, we give 10% of everything that comes in, uh, not because it's a law, but because, uh, for me, I need that discipline. Uh, that 10% check is the first check that we write, not the last check that we write. And I got to tell you something. It, it, we, we figure it before taxes, <laughs> okay? Otherwise, I'm giving the government the first check, Amen. <laughs> Okay, so we use 10% as our guidelines. That's the tithe. That's the tithe that we need from you. Uh, that's what keeps the lights on and keeps the TVs working and, and you know, all of that sort of thing. Uh, when I come to you for special needs, uh, you know, we, we, we started a fund uh, for the preservation. We, we've reached out for several missionaries and everything. Every time that I ask you for money, we write a check. And it's over and above our 10%. Now, this is between you and the Lord. Again, this is not a mandate. I'm just asking you to pray about it. Uh, many years ago, I did a sermon on giving, and a guy came in and he said, I don't need you to tell me about giving. You need to live on faith. And I said, I am living on faith. My faith is that you're going to put something in a collection plate. <laughs> uh, okay, so, but that's how the church works. We don't have dues. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't charge admission. Uh, so, Keep that before you and be in constant prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, now, you know, that's another big one because uh, we're here to be those ambassadors. And that means when somebody we don't know walks through the door, uh, that we should be warm and welcome. I don't think WBF has a problem with that either. Uh, a matter of fact, there are times when I am moved in the way you reach out to people. Uh, so, though, there, though there's a five guidelines, they should be the characteristics of the church. That's how we deal with our friends, our brothers and our sisters in the faith. And we're called to just consciously, deliberately exhibit love. And so, not just so that we could be loving, but so that the world can look through that door and go, those people must look like Jesus Christ. I think I'd like to have some of that. What about those that are not so friendly? How do we deal with our foes? Starting in verse 14. I'm sorry, did I say, how do we deal with our foes? Okay. Um, boy, I'll tell you, verse 14 is a problem, isn't it? Bless those who persecute you. Oh, God can't possibly mean that, could he? We're to bless our foes, the ones who persecute us, those who treat us with enmity, who scorn us, those who hate us. I got to tell you something, there's a lot more people in the culture that hate us today than 10 years ago. What do we do with them? What, what do we do about all those that do everything they can to marginalize and to oppress us and call us names, narrow-minded, and your faith is a crutch, and all the accusations that go forward that, that they levy on us as a way of not having to deal with us, really. But what do we, how do we respond to that? Listen carefully. The word for bless here does not mean that we simply say nice things about them. 
It doesn't mean that, that we, we, we just kind of withhold our anger and go, oh, that's nice. Okay, to bless someone, listen carefully. To bless someone is to invoke God's favor upon them. That's how the Jews saw a blessing. To pray for their welfare. For, to pray for God to act positively in their lives. I mean, the best thing that can happen to your enemy, if you're a saved person, is for that enemy to get saved. I pray for God to smite him. You know I love that word. I want to see lightning come down. I want to see him burn to a cinder. That's, I've got to repent from that. Because God says, don't do that. You bless them. You invoke my favor upon these people that are giving you such a hard time. Now, why does he tell us to do that? Because we have hope, and they don't. We have someplace to go, and they don't. We have something transcendent, and they don't have it. We are to bless, Paul says, and not curse them. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something. We are about to go into the most contentious election you have ever seen in your life. And I know what everybody's thinking right now. Well, my guy's right. Maybe your guy is right. I don't know. But I will guarantee you this. There's going to be so much anger and accusation floating around. This person's evil. That person's evil. You can't trust him. You can't trust them. You can't even trust the electoral process. And there's suspicion and rebellion everywhere. And the word says, bless and do not curse. We are to do the exact opposite of invoking harm upon them. The opposite of wishing evil upon them. How many social media postings have you seen? Say, well, they're going to get what's coming to them. You wait until Jesus comes back. He'll show them. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to give them over to ruin, to hope the very worst for them. You see what that means? And when we're talking about a culture of anger and hate and division, that we stand resolutely against that? We become a ray of hope, a ray of light in the darkness? That's our job. And you have the opportunity to do that this year. Verse 15 said, I mean, Paul doesn't just leave it there. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I want to rejoice with the people that are like me. I don't want to rejoice with the people that aren't like me. God's calling us out of our nature here. He's calling us to do something that is contrary to the things that that our heart leads us to do. So we're, we're not only to bless them, we are to enter into their joy and pain. We are to celebrate when they celebrate and mourn when they mourn. Now, this does not mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we endorse their lifestyle. We're not sharing their belief. It's acknowledging the fact that there are times in their lives when they're happy and there are times in their lives when they are hurting. Live in harmony with one another. And even this, this is more than let's all just get along with each other. 
It's not, it's not passive. Uh, let, let, let's not, it, it doesn't even mean just, just keep peace with each other. And, and the meaning of living in harmony has to be taken in context of everything else that Paul said here. Yeah. Bless your enemies, rejoice and weep with them. Paul's saying, all of you people, all of you people in the church are to love each other and collectively should feel the same way towards those who are not in the church. Now, there's a challenge. This is to be our corporate mindset. Ready to be united in our love for not only each other, but those who are outside of the church. How do we do that? How do we love those who actually oppose the church, who persecute the church? How do we love the people that are the least lovable? Well, you know, I don't know all the answers to that, but I do know this. It means one thing above all else. There should be no division in the church. There should be no division over politics, over issues, over cultural trends, current events. None of that should divide us. There should be harmony in how we agree to react to the world around us, sympathizing with those who need Jesus Christ, not because we agree with their lifestyle, not because we agree with their decisions, but because we as a body have what they most desperately need, the grace of God. Paul's deep right now into what it means to lead a theological life, how to apply our theology, what it means to be a gospel-oriented church. We work and exist in harmony with each other. We have to work at that. While we welcome those outside to come in and experience the same thing that we are experiencing, lives of faith and trust in our Creator. Now, that's kind of heady, even if we're able to accomplish it. But it can be a bit too heady. We've got to be careful not to make this a point of pride. We've got to be careful not to let this become self-righteousness. It shouldn't cause us to alienate ourselves from the outside world, point our finger at them. You know, it's probably, I, I, I just, I'm going to ask you to do this. Check your social media this week and objectively evaluate the postings you see about the church, the memes. And, and then tell me whether or not most of them are not really saying at their core, we're right and you're wrong. You need to become like us. This world is such a mess and we've got our act together. That's not what we're talking about here. That's pharisaical to think that the church has got some kind of franchise on being correct. So we don't alienate those outside the church. It says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Oh, you can't go there. Those people are sinners. Never be wise in your own sight. This is all a call to humility. Oh, there's a word for you. A caution to avoid thinking that we have all the answers and have everything right and are somehow superior to others. When in actuality, we're not superior to anyone. We don't have it over and above anyone else. In truth, 
The, the, the only difference between the church and the world is the grace of God. You know, humility is what's lacking from the cultural milieu today. There's no humility. Everybody's pointing their finger at each other and making accusations towards each other and claiming to be right while they're, they're determining that the other person is wrong. So, we see all that, and, and all it does is it drives us further and further apart. The division becomes deeper and deeper. So, when others urge us not to associate with these lowly, wrong people, the outcasts, the different, the unsaved, we should remember that that was us not too long ago. And the only thing standing between us and, and, and all of that is God's grace, God's love. Our job is not to isolate ourselves from the harvest field, but to show compassion to them, mercy, to share the truth with them, and then let the Holy Spirit do his work. Oh, there's a concept, isn't it? Let the Holy Spirit do his work. That's how, that, that, that's how we respond when we're attacked. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, there's a challenge right there. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Another challenge. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So much for anybody getting what's coming to them. It comes from God, not us. Verse 20, to the contrary. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Now, we're not quite sure what that phrase means. But I think it means that they will experience at some level conviction over how you've been treated. And if they don't, you know what? That's between them and God not up to us. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, we react to violence and oppression in the exact opposite the way the, the world reacts. We go contrary to everything that makes sense to the world. Instead of expressing anger, frustration, instead of getting violent ourselves, we try to make pre peace. We, we pray for these people we return their scorn with compassion. Now listen to me carefully. This is not about pacifism. And I know it sounds that way. It's not about pacifism. Brothers and sisters, it's about what's in our hearts. It's what motivates us to do the things that we do. It's okay to resist oppression. It's okay to, to, uh, uh, to resist somebody that wants to torture us. It's okay. We don't have to lie down and submit to torture. We're not called to be either passive nor victims. But what we are called to do is to eschew, to abandon the hate, the anger we see all around us, to avoid instant and harsh responses, to stop calling for an eye for an eye. Boy, we see that a lot, don't we? 
You know, that's out of Leviticus, I think chapter 24. You know what that means? You know what they're talking about? They're talking about the punishment fitting the crime. They're not talking about retribution. They're not talking about revenge. They're talking about make sure that all of this is equal. And even if they were talking about revenge, there's, God is saying, it's not your job. It's not your job to punish people. It's not your job to get vengeance upon them. You leave that up to me. Your job is to show them love. Your job is to show them mercy. Your job is to weep when they weep and celebrate when they celebrate. Matter of fact, Jesus kind of corrects all this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Well, there's a lifestyle. Where, that we are to respond to everyone outside the church, including those who persecute us, including our foes, is to love them the same way we love those inside the church. That's what Paul's telling us here. So we've seen this. How do we deal with our friends? We love them. The church, with all our hearts. Not, not, and, and that's not just the ones here in this church. We love all the ones who share the gospel with the world. All, and, and we can get into all of our differences about their ecclesiology, how they, how they come together, uh, their practices, their doctrine, their secondary doctrine and all that. But we are to love the church of Jesus Christ. You know, when we get to heaven, brothers and sisters, we're not going to be the only people there. I tell, oh, all the WBFers are here. I knew we would make it. <laughs> okay, there are going to be people from, from every church and every denomination that shared the gospel with those people around them. And all the things that would divide us, we're going to put behind us. So that's how we get with our friends. We love them. We love the people down the street that have a different type of service than we do. Maybe have a different type of politics than we do. Maybe, maybe they practice baptism and, and communion and everything a little bit differently. It's okay. We love them. Okay? So how do we love our foes? Brothers and sisters, we are not finger pointers. We're not here to tell the world what's wrong with it. We are Christ pointers. Everything we do points towards Jesus Christ. We're here to share the truth of the gospel that can make everything right. It's the answer to all of the problems in the world is the gospel. How do we do that? And that seems so difficult in a world where there are so many urging us to act in the exact opposite way. Encouraging us towards anger frustration, even encouraging violence. Well, we just read the answer. How do we do that? My mother's words come back to me. We better hope and pray. Place our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Let me, let, me, let me just say that one more time. We place our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Nobody is going to save this country but Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him and him alone. And then we pray for each other. That's kind of a given. Amen. 
we pray for each other, and we pray for those who are not like us. That's a challenge. Even those who are our enemies. And then, then, then what we do is we have our hope in Christ, we pray for everybody, and then we stand back and watch the Holy Spirit have his way with us and with all the people around us. Now, the hope is there. What do we do about the prayer? I'm going to give you a couple opportunities to pray, some very specific things, and this is a great way to start out the year, okay? So, uh, um, Wednesday, we, we've been doing prayer day for what, two years or so? Wednesday is prayer day. Uh, we send out a little note every Wednesday with uh, people that need prayer. Uh, you know, if you're on the email list, you get that. Take a few minutes and look at it. Just pray through it. Uh, it goes out on Tuesday night. Uh, so you can do it first thing Wednesday morning if you like, uh, but read through that. And, you know, it's a way for us to be aware of who's struggling and who's praising and so on and so forth. It's a way for us to pray with each other. That also shows up in the Monday minutes and the Friday forecast. And, uh, you know, I know we say this a lot, uh, but I'm going to encourage you to read those emails. <laughs> Look at them carefully. They really have all the information about everything that's going on in the church during the week. All the dates and all the times and everything are in the Monday minutes and the Friday forecast. The Monday minutes are saying, here are the things that we have before us. Friday forecast, here's what's coming for the weekend. So take a few minutes and look at that. And the prayer requests are right there at the beginning of that as well. So these are opportunities for us to pray for each other. Now, I've asked uh, Diane to come up with a couple of sign-up um, uh, forms online. And I'd like to form three uh, three prayer groups. Uh, Diane doesn't know about the third one yet, so she's listening. Uh, I wanna, we want to sign up for a prayer team that will pray for this grant process for our preservation fund. Uh, you know, we're faced with uh, challenges here uh, about getting the building back into shape where it will last longer than another year or two. Uh, so uh, Diane's working on grants. It's a very complicated process. She's put an incredible amount of work into it. And she could use our prayer support. So that link to that group will go out in the Monday minutes tomorrow morning. Uh, we also uh, want a prayer team for the preservation fund in general. Uh, so two, one for the grant process, another for the preservation fund in general. You can sign up for all of them if you want. You can sign up for one of them, uh, whatever you want to do. But those links will be in the Monday minutes. And then I'm going to ask to form a third group that will pray for the elders and leaders of the church, the elders, leaders, and teachers of the church as we navigate these waters that are before us. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I want to emphasize one more time. This is going to be a difficult year. When we went through COVID, uh, your elders had to make some decisions that were very difficult, knowing that there would not be general agreement on all of the things that we did. We're headed for another one. And I know it doesn't seem that way yet. I know everybody thinks it's going to be fine. My guy's going to win. Everything's going to be great. And then when we inaugurate the new president or re-inaugurate the, the old president, whatever, everything will be fine. You know, that never works. Okay? So this will be a contentious political year. And we need to learn to listen to the voices that are speaking to us and compare them to Scripture. I'm going to ask you to pray for the elders, for the leaders, and teachers of the church as well. Those links will be available to you on the Monday minutes and the Friday forecast. Now, these are things that we can do together. 
even though we're not all together all the time. But we're united by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, and communion is an expression of that union. So we're going to pause right here and take communion together. It's our first communion of 2024, and this sets the tone for where we're going to go this year. And ask the deacons to come forward. We will hand out the bread, and then we'll take it together, and then we'll hand out the juice, and we'll take it together. Just read in your, your scriptures, Lord, what it means to be a body. Lord, I thank you for the body that you've assembled here. Thank you for the promise that each one of us brings something to the body that is needed for the body to function. Lord, that night when Jesus had gathered around him the, the 12, that was the beginning of this. He held up the bread, and he said, this is my body. And that must have been a moment of either revelation or confusion for those sitting in that room. But here, 2,000 years later, this is it. We're the body. Father, we pray that even as Jesus knit those people together in a very special way with the dawning of the Spirit, you continue to knit our hearts together. Lord, that we would look back on the sacrifice that was made for us that allows this moment to happen, but realize that you're still working in us, still drawing us together, still refining us, still sanctifying us, Father, still making us into the messengers that you've designed us to be. We submit ourselves to you, Father, and say, here we are, your body, with our head as Jesus Christ. Use us. Take and eat.
Father, if we, we ponder this, this small glass of juice and everything it represents. Knowing, Father, that the breaking of the bread, the breaking of the body was just the beginning of the work that Christ would do in order to restore us back to you. That it would require the shedding of blood as well. But Father, we look at the cup and we wonder, it's such a small amount, but it, it's such a large amount. I'm reminded of the time that I was filling communion cups downstairs long before I entered into the ministry. And one of the deacons came by and said, you're putting too much juice. And I thought I'd done something wrong, but Father, we need a lot of blood because we are great sinners. Our sins here are many, and your mercy is more. Father, we thank you that Jesus shed all his blood, that we might be cleansed, not just invited into the body, but restored to a relationship with you. And that blood cleanses us, Father. And even now, as, as, we, as we observe this, this portrayal of the gospel, Father, we need that cleansing. We needed the cleansing when, when you became our Lord and Savior, and we need it today because we continually fall short of the mark, Father. We continually do things that offend you. And, Father, you so graciously continue to restore us. So we thank you for this reminder of the work that you've done in us and the work you're doing in us, Father, and the, the root of the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ, that the work that you started in us would be perfected, that we would stand before you in glory, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done, take and drink. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the work you've done, the work you're doing. We give you thanks for the way you've planted us here in the middle of this town and the ministries you've trusted us with, Father. We pray by the presence and power of your spirit, we would walk in the manner worthy of the high and holy calling that you've put on us. Now I pray a blessing on those who are gathered here, those who are listening. Father, that we would be able to appropriate the truths that we've heard today, the truth of your scripture in our daily lives, Father, and become those beacons of light you've designed us to be. As we go from here, Father, I would pray an extra measure of protection and provision upon those who've gathered here and those who've joined us online. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Pastor John back here again. If you're blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. 
We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.